If we are made in the image of the author of the universe, then who are we to play small ball? That's Brian Bird, Hollywood producer, writer, director, and author on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates, along with Armin Asadi. And we're here to help you put your faith to work and bring your bold ideas to life. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. We're so glad that you're a part of this show. And boy, Armin, do we have another good one here. That's right. This is this might this might be the good way to end the show if we wanted to and put an exclamation point. Yeah, we've but had we won't. 62 great episodes now. <laughs> <laughs> but this is going to be a dot, dot, dot still, not an yeah, exclamation we'll keep, point. We'll keep going, but we just do love the the what you're going to hear in this episode. And you want to be sure to stay to the end because Brian Bird has a special announcement about some news that uh, just has happened to him. And uh, Brian is... Three decades in Hollywood as a Hollywood producer, he's written and directed two dozen films, including The Case for Christ, Captive, Not Easily Broken. He's the co-executive producer and writer on the final five seasons of the series Touched by an Angel. He's the executive producer and co-creator of When Calls the Heart on the Hallmark channels, had three and a half million fans weekly tuning into the show. And a half a million of them call themselves Hardies. <laughs> and they are they are the uh, diehard fans. They are the diehard heart fans. That's right. And he is the co-author with Michelle Cox, a devotional book that's just come out this past February, When God Calls the Heart. And we are so glad to have on the program Brian Bird. Welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Thanks, Larry. It's great to be on with you guys. Well, so good to have you here. Now you are a longtime Hollywood veteran, and we've had a few Hollywood stars on our program here. We've had Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach, people that you know. And, you know, I was, I was really kind of fun to see what these guys had to say about you. Phil says that when Brian speaks, I listen. I want to learn from the best. And after spending three decades in Hollywood trenches, he knows the pitfalls, obstacles, and the opportunities. That's quite an endorsement. That's high praise coming from Phil Cook. I love him, and and uh, those guys are fantastic. I love their new book, which I'm sure you've heard all about. Yep. And uh, yeah, really great guys. I love hanging out. Well, with Well, we ha- we had them both on the program to talk about their new book, and of course, Jonathan had the best thing to say about you. He says, "Sure, Brian's rugged good looks and Bond-like effect on women are super <laughs> annoying, but once you get past your petty jealousy, you'll also discover Brian Bird is one of the nicest and most talented writer producers working in Hollywood today. Man, I hate that guy." <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, John Jonathan hasn't seen a photo of me in the last five years, so I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I I'm just, not sure that. I just the bond saw effect is there. I don't know. Anymore. I think it's still. I think it's still pretty strong there. But okay, so you're a, ho- a longtime Hollywood veteran, and a lot of these guys have a lot of praise and respect for you. But w- tell us about your vocational journey. How did you get to where you are today? Well, you know, I um, I was a pr- pretty much just a wallflower <laughs> back in the day in in high school and. I uh, wasn't really good at much of anything, uh, but I had an English teacher hold me back, freshman freshman English teacher hold me back um, after class, and I thought, 
what did I do? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm busted, and all my friends are kind of looking back at me with pity on their faces. As uh-huh. That sounds like a nightmare Plus, right there. <laughs> yeah, and but she called me up to her desk, and she had an essay that I, that I had written, and she, you know, I had an A plus on it. But she said, "That's not the most important thing I want to point out to you here today." And she looked me right in the eye, and she said, "You could do this for a living if you want to." Mm. And you know, uh, I'd never heard that before. I writing had always come easier than anything else, but you know, but I wasn't good at anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so it's the, the bar was kind of low there in terms of expectations, and um, so the the uh, the the effect of having an adult champion on my in in my life like that, and in fact multiple adult champions uh, who who stepped into my my world and encouraged me over the years um, was huge, and you know our parents. Uh, our parents are biased most of the time. If yeah. we have a decent, come from a decent family, you know, our parents are very biased towards us. Uh, mm-hmm. The bar is extremely low in terms of what's praiseworthy in a, in a family. Uh, you know, you taking a little duty in the toilet for your first time get, is, <laughs> is praiseworthy. So, uh, you know, that, Armin knows this. Not, He's got the young not, kids, right? It's, it's, I'm it's laughing. Like, it's I like the biggest celebration there. in our house. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sometimes it takes adult champions in your life to, you know, to spot those things in you. And, you know, she set, she lit a fire under me and she, she dogged me. That teacher dogged me all the way through high school. I became a newspaper, the editor of the school newspaper. And then she said, you got to go to journalism school. And I just kept saying yes, you know, to, to that adult champion. And I went to journalism school. I started, uh, I, w- I became a newspaper reporter for and magazine writer for a number of years. And I had other adult champions who spoke into my life uh, during that whole process. And, you know, I was smart enough to listen to them. And I think that for me was a very bold idea in, in my life. Uh, my my uncle Dan Bird is a uh, a, 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 a highly respected worship leader all through his career at some of the biggest churches in America. And he's old school. He's, you know, 36 piece orchestra and a hundred piece, hundred voice choir kind of a guy handles Messiah kind of worship leader. Mm-hmm. And he said to me when I was getting out of high school uh, and getting ready to go to journalism school, he said, you know, this writing skill that you have is uh, it's an instrument that God's given you to play. Mm. And don't just get good enough to be in a garage band. Mm. Get get good enough to be in the symphony. And I've always had that carrot dangling in front of me my whole life. You know, as believers, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to uh, pursue excellence in our lives, not for our own glory, but to reflect back on the maker of all things, the creator of the universe. If we are made in the image of the author of the universe, then who are we to play small ball? Who are we to to strive for mediocrity or to strive for the good enough principle? And so I've always had this sort of real uh, passion to try to pursue excellence, to try to become the Michelangelo of my one thing, right? Now, I'm not Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never be that, but I'm striving to become that in my life. And, you know, when you, when you shoot 
high like that, even if you don't hit the high mark, you're going to hit higher than you would have had you been an early, you know, an early settler in your, in your life, you know, uh, and settled for sort of good enough. And, and so anyway, that, you know, for me vocationally, that was sort of my launch point is wow. get good enough to be in the symphony. Don't just settle for being in a garage band. Well, that's so good. And there's so many things I want to ask you right now. I'm going to pull this thread though. Talk about how did your parents instill within you this idea of not settling for mediocrity? Well, my father, um, always wanted to do what I've, what I ended up doing. Uh, he, he was, when I was a little kid, my father, Robert Bird, he's now gone to be with the Lord, but he, uh, he was a pastor of a little church in, in Kiwani, Illinois, <laughs> where I was born. And, um, he had always wanted to be in the film business, but he came from a family that, that which valued, you know, the ministry above all things. And so he sort of uh, felt like he, uh, you know, uh, settled for the ministry. And that was not a bad thing, but it was something that it was, it was not what he was really passionate about. And he ended up leaving the ministry after several years and moving to us to California, where he became a radio man. He, he had a great voice and he got into the radio business. And so I grew up with my dad on the radio mm-hmm. as a DJ and a, and, a, and, a, and a radio personality in Los Angeles. And so I sort of grew up with this whole sense of media and ministry at the same time. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad had been a pastor. I was, uh, I was raised in the church. I became a Christian at a young age. Uh, but I also had this greater sense of the of the bigger conversation happening in the world, which at that point was my dad being on the radio and me going in and watching him perform on the radio and seeing that he was reaching you know millions of people with his voice. And I think that also instilled in me this idea very early on that <clears throat> the biggest and loudest conversation going on in the entire world, is the media conversation. And that as people of faith, we can choose to stay out of that conversation, but it doesn't mean that the conversation's not going to continue. In fact, it's going to go on as loud as ever with or without us. So we should probably be part of that conversation, not live in our own little bubbles and our own little ecosystems or, or even a worse term, ghettos, uh, and just talk to ourselves, but we need to be part of the larger uh, media conversation because, frankly, it is a bigger and louder conversation than the church is even having. 24-7, 365 on every phone and every screen, every radio, every TV. Yeah, so Brian, where are we as believers missing the opportunity to uh, do what you just suggest? Well, I think that we've been sort of um, siloed off in the culture for the last hundred years or so, um, we, you know, we have a Christian music industry. We have a, we've had a Christian movie and TV industry. I was just at the national religious broadcasters convention, which is definitely changing and, and, and it's, and it's, and it's taking part in the broader media conversation now more than ever. But, you know, we've had this kind of almost, um, cone of silence, (laughs) 
<laughs> that we've been, you know, living in and talking to each other through, as opposed to really saying, you know, look, we are, we are all, all human beings are created in the off, in the image of the author of the universe. Just not everybody knows that. Not everybody realizes their connection to God or has embraced a faith in Christ in order to 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 you know recognize that that connection to God. But that doesn't mean all those artists out there who have not become Christians are any less talented or any less made in the image of the author of the universe. They are actually pursuing their beautiful skill sets because God gave them to them, even if they don't know that, right? And so I think where we've honestly missed the boat in the church is by encouraging our young people to go for broke, to become the Michelangelos of the one thing that God has given them to do, whatever that is, whether it is writing or, or painting or movies or books or, or architecture or mathematics or whatever the one thing is that they're supposed to do, we have not encouraged them to strive to be the Michelangelo of that one thing. And if we did do that, there would be a new renaissance in all the arts, and the church would be at the center of the renaissance, just like it was at the center of the original renaissance, right? The church actually patronized the arts back in the day, not secular or religious arts, art, just art, because there is no dividing line. Uh, uh, if people are made in the image of the author of the universe and they have a skill set, that's not secular or Christian. It's just human. We're our human dignity made in made by God includes those things. And so we've 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 made this kind of divide, this cultural divide where we talk about secular and faithful. And I don't see I don't think God sees it that way, mm. <laughs> frankly, from from heaven. Uh, I don't think he looks down and looks at it that way. You you mentioned cone of silence, but if I if I hear what I think you're saying, and and correct me if I've got this wrong, it it sounds more like a cone of comfort that mm. the church wants to cultivate faithful Christians to produce works for faithful Christians. That's right. Uh, as opposed to saying, "Hey, how can how can you influence the culture at large, or how can we promote good storytelling, regardless right. of putting a label on it or not?" Is that what you're saying? I'm totally, totally right. Yeah, a cone of comfort is a good way to look at it. It's, uh, it's a fear-based idea, right? We don't want to be tainted by the world, the big bad world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big bad world is where the conversation is really happening, right? And we're having our own little conversation in our own dialect that a lot of other people can't even understand. People outside that cone of comfort, they don't even get it. They don't, they don't understand what we're talking about. Oh. And it's just, it's just not, I don't, I personally don't believe in that theology. I, I, yes, we are to be, you know, you know, in the world, but not of it, but that, but, but the word in is a big word. <laughs> yes. That's a really big word in that, in that verse. It sure is. It's probably the biggest two letter <laughs> word. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, but here, let's take, let's take a look inside this cone of comfort for a second, Brian, because is it wouldn't you even say that the success of your show when god calls the heart is because there's a lot of people that are frankly uncomfortable with the material and the productions that are coming out there that that offend them or 
cause them discomfort? And is that a bad thing? Uh, look, there, there, yes, it's, I, I will 100, agree 100% with you. But we're not doing a church show. Just like when I did the show Touched by an Angel, it was not a church show. It was a show about truth. It was a show about scriptural principles on earth. But that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily have to exist inside the cone, right? Mm-hmm. So our show, When Calls the Heart, on the Hallmark Channel, it's in season five right now, and it's, it's had, it just has grown every year that we've been on. And I don't see it going anywhere for a long time because people love it so much. But it's not a church show. We're not pounding people over the head with the gospel. But we weave into the storytelling the great redemptive redemptive themes of Western civilization, which, to be honest with you, I look at all movies as faith-based movies. Hmm. We're all trying to get to redemption. Every movie I go to is, unless it's a completely cynical, narcissistic, sort of self-involved kind of a story, and those do exist, I won't deny that. But even a show like Breaking Bad is about the str- the struggle for redemption and and that pride goeth before the fall. Every every show, every uh, uh, you know, every movie that I see for the most part has uh, these these violin strings running through it that exist in all of us. And those those themes, um, those strings are tuned to to themes like redemption, courage, nobility. Uh, sacrifice, resurrection, even the strings that we have running through our souls as all mankind, no matter where you go, we have the same violin strings, right? And when you pluck those strings and they reverberate to those themes, that doesn't, that's not a Christian thing. That's a human thing because we're all wired for the Jesus story. We're all wired for those, those themes. There was a resurrection in the epic of Gilgamesh. 2,000 years before Christ, there was a resurrection in that epic poem. So mankind was wired for the Jesus story. That's what C.S. Lewis said from the beginning. He said that Jesus was the myth that became true because all of the myth-making all throughout human history has, has included the themes of those themes that I just mentioned of, of forgiveness and, and redemption and courage and nobility and resurrection. Uh, last time I checked, uh, Harry Potter, there was a resurrection in that movie. E.T., there was a resurrection in that movie. There are figurative resurrections in every story, in, man, uh, that, in all storytelling. There are figurative re- resurrections, and there are figurative death of oneself, death, death to oneself in all those stories. So I don't, I don't see the distinction personally. I think that we do that ourselves. We wall ourselves off into these little, you know, cones of comfort <laughs> because we're afraid. We're afraid to to be bold and to go out and to have those bold ideas and go speak boldly what we believe. But the thing is is that yes, there may be people who reject us, but there's lots of starving people too who who aren't being fed appro- appropriately. So our show when calls the heart is full of the great themes of Western civilization, but it's not an altar call show. We're not pounding people over the head with the gospel. We're just giving these great redemptive themes. And the idea is to stir up soul cravings so that you'll want more, right? You'll want more good food. And, And so 
that's there is a large audience for our show. There's a large underserved audience that is so tired of of the the darkness and the cynicism of everything else coming out of culture that they're they're afraid, you know, and the, and and so we've we've given them a safe place to be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we're going to we're going to um uh only uh you know, tickle their ears with what we're saying, we're still going to challenge them. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I mean, good storytelling, as you pointed out, is is redemptive by its very nature because that's what we're drawn to want exactly. to see. That's the gospel, right? Right, incarnate in in our desire for it. But but I have to I have to tell you, I have a hard time sometimes seeing even inklings of redemption in in certain movies that I just can't get past. You know, whatever it is, for yeah. one that comes to mind is No Country for Old Men, and I and I can't even oh, remember yeah. the storyline except I just remember being so detested by the violence and evil that I saw in that movie. Yeah, that I couldn't even I couldn't even put a fragment together saying there was anything redemptive from it. <laughs> so, well, the only thing, yeah, I I I will I will I will give you that, but I I will say that the one redemptive thing that I pull out of that movie is that it's a an incredible cautionary tale about the darkness in men's hearts if left to their own devices and it is a cautionary tale about pride goeth before the fall right <laughs> it is a cautionary tale that the the enemy prowls the world like a like a lion looking to devour our souls and there it's a dark bleak picture <laughs> of the world but the one thing I will say about it is that you want light at the end. You're hungry for light, right? Because it's it it's a you, it's a pulling back of the curtain on the on on the heart of man, and and and, and his his need for something greater than himself, and not to be left to his own devices. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, this is probably a good time to take a pause from this episode and thank our listeners who've supported the Bold Idea Podcast. You are the reason we exist. This is a nonprofit. That means we don't make profit off of doing this. This <laughs> costs money. So if you're the people exactly. out there that are supporting us and donating to us, you're the reason that we've been able to do this for over a year. And we'd love to be able to do this for another year or two and bring on more amazing guests. So we would love your support. If you feel so led, just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you again. Brian, I'm kind of curious. This is a really selfish question to ask, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, so in my personal dealings with Hollywood back and forth in the past seven, eight months, I've been really struggling and wrestling with this idea of I'm putting my story out there and I'm constantly caught between these two ideas that if I allow a Christian production company to do my story, it's going to come out to be the cheesiest, boringest, version of my story ever. And it's going to be a bunch of people sounding like a 1960s Batman show saying G Willikers. Right. Uh, and the other side of it is it allowing a Hollywood normal production company to do my story. And then it becomes, you know, filled with lots of 
profanity, the real violence that took place and so on and so forth, which would be a more realistic version of the story. Um, but I know that my, my following per se is more of a Christian audience. So I have to choose between, do I put a story out there to go after the people I really want to grab their attention of and, and at the same time kill my following or the Christian following? Or do I grow my Christian following and not go after the people I actually want to go after? And I'm constantly torn between that. What, what advice would you give me and how do you pick your own projects? Well, it's a great question, Arvin. Uh, the, the, the challenge is most of the faith-based movies, I would say, that have been made in you know the last 20 years or so have been pretty lackluster in terms of their excellence. Um, and part of that is you could trace back to even the Christian music arena, you know, uh, contemporary Christian music when it sort of first came on the scene back in the seventies and eighties was, uh, let's be honest, it was pretty bad. <laughs> the, produ- <laughs> the production value was pretty bad. It was kind of cheesy. The lyrics were kind of cheesy, but it, but it has evolved since then. And I would dare anybody to look at most of the content coming out of what you would call the the contemporary Christian music scene now. Uh, I would dare you to try to find too much difference between the production value that you're hearing now and what you would have and, and what you would hear coming out of mainstream music. The production value is is strong. The artistic integrity is strong because it it has evolved. And that is happening. That is happening in Hollywood right now in terms of some of the the companies that are doing these these faith-based titles. I have worked on some of them. I have made some of those. Uh, The Case for Christ was my movie uh, that I wrote and helped produce last year. And we got high high marks from not only the, the audience, but from critics as well who who thought it was, you know, one of the better films that it has been made in a long time that has a faith-based storyline. And so I think that's changing. I think the, I think, yes, there, uh, you know, part of it is a function of the budget <laughs> that's spent on your prospective story being told in the movie. Um, part of it is the horsepower that you have around it. If do you have real talented folks involved in helping make that movie? And, you know, uh, the, the YouTube generation is fantastic. It's given, a, it's given everybody an opportunity to have a voice. But what, but what it's done is it's diluted a, a lot of long, young people into thinking that they are filmmakers. And they are not filmmakers until somebody pays them to do it. And, and they've done it enough to where they've been to the war and they know what they're doing. And so I think the, the distinction between some of the faith-based films these days uh, between the ones that work and the ones that don't is about budget and about the talent around it. Uh, the director, the writer, the producers, the actors who get involved in these films. And there is growth. I, I have see, seen it every year. There's a movie coming out this coming Friday. And by the time this podcast airs, it'll already be in theaters called I Can Only Imagine. It's the true story of the the birth of the song I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me and Bart Millard. And it's a very powerful movie with good performances and 
you know, and, and strong acting and strong writing and strong production value. And Lionsgate is putting it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So, right. So there, so there's a place for good quality filmmaking out there. And then there is going to always be sort of the, the, the filmmaking ghetto, which stays in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. And I just would encourage you to get into business on your story with people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. How do you pick which stories or which productions you get involved in? What do you look for? I just look for fantastic stories, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I love telling true stories. In fact, uh, three of the next four movies that I'm doing are true are true stories. Um, I, it's not that I don't appreciate fiction. My television show is fiction. I just have set up a brand new show at Netflix, which is based on fiction. Uh, but true stories are fantastic because they're testimonies, right? And, and uh, whether or not they're, they're Christian testimonies doesn't matter. True stories are testimonies in one way or another. And there's usually powerful redemption that takes place in them. And so I, I am always looking for a great love story. I'm always looking for, uh, uh, you know, crucibles that people go through. Um, the, the, the case for Christ is a perfect example. This was a hardcore atheist, big-time journalist, Lee Strobel, for the Chicago Tribune, who was deeply in love with his, his wife, and she became a Christian right? And blew up his whole world. Mm. They were perfectly happy atheist couple living in Chicago. And she blew up his world because she had an existential crisis. And his whole pursuit of trying to debunk Christianity was in order to save his wife from the cult that she had joined, right? So it's a romance. It's a love story. He loves his wife so much, he's going to save her from herself. But at the end of the day, he realized that there was so much evidence for, for Jesus that it would take more faith for him to remain in his atheism than it would to be to embrace it like his wife had done. And so at the spine of that story, it's a love story, right, between a man and, a, and his wife and a man trying to save the damsel in distress. And so, uh, you know, I'm always my personally looking for stories that has sort of something epic about them. Whether it's the, the a love story or whether it's a true story that is has this incredible narrative drive through it, um, and so that that personally for me is 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 uh, where I go to, where my nose for news, you know, starts sniffing around. I want to take us back to the start of our conversation. You had a teacher who reached out to you and encouraged you in your path, which. I, I'm guessing you're quite grateful for because it sounds like you you wouldn't be where you are today if it had not been for her steering you there. That's right. What what do you find yourself telling young people today who are who are maybe have the gift of writing or thinking about being a filmmaker or whatever? What what is the what are you telling them today to encourage them? <clears throat> well, a few things. One one is uh, to to go back to Mrs. Stevens, Candy Stevens, my teacher and high school, who is a real hero to me at the end of the day, um, is listen and search for adult champions in your life. Listen to what older people who've been to the war have to say to you, because you've never been in the trenches. So let somebody else who's been there speak into your life. Uh, That's one thing. I think you need three 
of those people to confirm your gift. If you're a young person who thinks that God has given you the gift of whatever your talent is, find three people who've earned the right to have an opinion to confirm that in you. Because I've also encountered a lot of young people who have only heard it in their dreams. And uh, it's, it's an easy place to go, right? Because you can, you can become delusional also about <laughs> what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And delusion is disaster when it turns into disappointment and depression. And so you, the, the three, the four D words there are, are deadly, <laughs> disaster, depression, delusion, all of those things. It's a toxic brew. So in order to avoid that toxic brew about what you think you're gifted at, you need to f- identify at least three champions who have earned the right to their opinion, who know what they're talking about. And if they confirm in you that writing gift, that painting skill, that, that gift of, 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 um, of being able to sculpt or, or, or draw blueprints for skyscrapers, whatever your one thing is, find three champions who will who confirm that in you. And if you do, if you find those three champions, then you are sinning not to try to become the Michelangelo of that thing. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely sinning. So those are my two big my two big uh, takeaways. Uh, look for adult champions and then find three of them. And the third one is if you're not striving for excellence, then you're of no use to anybody. Because we are made in the image of the creator of the universe. We have a tiny strand of that DNA in each of us. We're all meant to do one thing and one thing really, really well. And if we aren't pursuing that with a vengeance, we are actually selling ourselves short. We're selling the world short and we're selling God short. Good word. Now, you have a book that just came out this last month, When God Calls the Heart. So, talk about that. Well, so, I, I mentioned that we have this TV show on the Hallmark Channel, which is going uh, great guns and has about, well, over three million people watch every every Sunday night when it's on. And now, it's the first four seasons are on Netflix, and it's getting a, even a bigger following now. Um, so... I have heard from this fan group that has evolved over the last four seasons who call themselves Hardies, and we didn't invent them. They invented themselves. They're absolutely an organic grassroots fan fan group, and I have to say they are Trekkies on steroids. We call them Hardies (laughs) because the show is called When Calls the Heart, right? So they're Hardies, Trekkies on steroids, and they are absolutely wild for the show, but they're also wild for each other and for a sense of community. And they pray together. They have Hardy's parties together all over the world now. <laughs> it's just parties. it's just unbelievable. Do they have uh, it at Hardy's? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so uh, many of them, you know, hundreds and you know thousands of them have communicated to me, and I, you know, I didn't I didn't ask this role, but I have become Papa Hardy to them, right? I'm sort of the, the Pied Piper of this movement. And um, so, the, but I, I heard from many of them who watch our episodes dozens of times, right? Because they're so, they are so in love with this, 
this 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 town of Hope Valley and the characters that live there. They 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 watch it dozens of times because they want to go deeper with those stories, with the God moments in those stories. And so I I said, you know what? We need to write a book, a devotional that is inspired for by each of those episodes. And so each chapter is inspired by one of the episodes in the show, but then we we identify the God moments and we go deeper into a deeper conversation theologically, spiritually, devotionally. And we have uh, a, a great verse of scripture. We have a prayer. We have great self-reflection questions. And there are now groups all over the country that are doing this in small groups. Um, we, we heard about a chemotherapy uh, group. When they're all sitting there having their chemo, they're doing the devotions from when God calls the heart. Mm. So it's just been a, a, a fantastic way to even go deeper uh, to give people, stir up more soul cravings in people so that they can have real life conversations around the water cooler about important God moments and, and issues in their lives. So, yes, so When God Calls the Heart is in stores now. It's pretty much online wherever you can buy a book. Uh, you can find out more at whengodcallstheheart.com, very simply, uh, where to buy it, where to order it. Uh, but we're thrilled and and. We actually are now following up with two more devotionals. Oh, that's great! Uh, in the series, what a what a terrific way to take what you talked about earlier to take a redemption story. In this case, when calls the heart, all right. the five seasons that you've done there, and then and then show the deeper redemptive piece of that uh, with yes. with the when God calls the heart devotional and journal. I think you have out as well. That's that right? right. Yeah. There's a, a companion journal that uh, goes, that, that's terrific. I, I love that. We'll have links to all the books and how you can get a hold of that on our show notes. But Brian, before we let you go, tell us what is your next bold idea? Well, I will, I will announce it right here on your show. It is fresh, fresh news. Um, uh, because Netflix is really the future of broadcasting uh, or of, of streaming, I guess you would say. It's the platform of the future, and they hope to have 1,000 TV shows on their system. Wow. Uh, they have had such a good response to When Calls the Heart that they asked me, what else do you got? And so I have just sold a brand new show to them based on another series of books uh, by the author Tricia Goyer, who's a uh, writes in the faith-based inspirational space. Uh, and the series is called Big Sky. And uh, it's all, this is brand new news. It just happened a couple of days ago. Wonderful. So uh, it is a bold new plan. But the idea is that Netflix is getting such a good response to, to When Calls the Heart and some of these other handful, they don't have many, uh, of family and faith kind of t- titles that they actually want to go farther uh, on their system and have more shows that are faith and family friendly. And so uh. Big Sky is going to be my next uh, my next uh, big, bold idea. Well, congratulations on that. When can we expect to see the first episode of Big Sky? Well, I'll, I'll I'll have to let you know. We <laughs> we we have our first uh, next steps meeting uh, in a week, and so we'll find out uh, more about their timing and and how soon they want to go. But I imagine the earliest we would probably be on the air is sometime in two thousand nineteen. 
Well, that's that's great, and what a what a great uh, next step and a great next bold idea. And we look forward to seeing more of your projects. And Brian, I want to thank you again for being a guest on the Bold Idea Podcast. I, I came away with so many uh, takeaways. Um, man, I just love to spend more time with you <laughs> than we well, can. But I, I, I love being on with you guys, and and I love I love the line of questioning too because I think it's really important. And uh, anytime I'll come back and we can do part two. Oh, that would be great. Thanks, yeah. Brian. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, I mean, I can see why Jonathan Bach and Phil Cook have so many, so many such high regard. I can see why Jonathan hates him. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have some guests on the program that I just, I, I just think, you know, there's so much more. I think that's probably true for all of our guests, but there's there's several that I go, you know, I just really like to just kind of hang. Yeah, with this is for the surface. Yeah, you know, we just barely scratch the surface, and I. I, you know, I think our listeners probably would agree. Brian's got a lot to uh, to to say yeah. about this whole idea of bringing out the excellence inside of you, whether it's art or science or whatever it is that God has equipped you with, and and to bring it into fruition and excellence. So there's a few themes here that that came through, but the one that that um, that really kind of struck a chord with me was his uh, high school teacher really speaking into his life and how much of a difference that made. And it made me think about my own high school coach, my mm. debate coach. Oh, I thought you were going to go into a sport. It's like, I didn't no. know you played a sport. Okay. No, it wasn't a sport at all. It was a funny story. I had a, a, a the debate coach in my high school. I was, I was not in any of his classes at all, but he pulled me out of a hallway one time and says, Larry, what are you doing for extracurricular activities? I'm, my name is Joseph Dionisio. I'm the debate coach, and I'd like you to consider joining the debate team. Sure. Now, I, don't, I think, Armin, he had me for a teacher's bet in the teacher's lounge because I looked at him and I said, I'm getting a D in speech. Why would you choose me? <laughs> <laughs> so unlike... Uh, Brian's teacher who yeah. had, you know, some evidence that he actually had some skill. <laughs> I didn't, uh, you know, as far as I could tell, didn't have any evidence, but I ended up, you know, placing third in state in debate oh, wow. as a consequence of him having that confidence in me to say, I think you have what it takes to mm. do this. And I wonder about how often we as adults miss the opportunity to inspire kids mm. or young, the young people in our life with just what might be possible for their future. Yeah. Because I know that that, that happened for me. And, and one of the very sad things that I just learned, in fact, I just, got, I just got a card from him. But a number of years ago, I called him up out of the blue, hadn't seen him in 25 years. And I called him up out of the blue and I said, I'm going to come to Colorado Springs. It's where I grew up. Mm. And I'd like to visit with you. Mm. And, uh, and I had lunch with him. My youngest son, Jonathan, was with us at the time. Mm. And, uh, and I just presented him with a book and I didn't know if he was a believer or not. I gave him Wild at Heart mm. from John Eldridge. Sure. And it turns out he had accepted Christ about a, f- a few years earlier. Oh, wow. So it really touched him that I did that. But what, what he said really hit me. He says, you know, you're the only student that's ever come back to thank me. And he was my, you know, Mr. Holland and in, in, uh, Mr. Yeah. Holland's opus. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it just... It worried me in some ways that A, we may not be doing what he did, mm. and B, when we are the recipient of it, we may not be going back and thanking those who do that. Yeah, it's like a lack of gratitude. 
Totally. That, like, ah, they already know I'm grateful. <laughs> but I hear Brian's story and I think about a young man at, you know, in Brian Bird who got put on a path that's making tremendous impact. Yeah. Because of the encouragement that he had along the way from people who, who cared enough to reach out and do that. And it made me take pause and think about how might I better invest my time as well in inspiring young people in their path too. Right. And and I think there's a flip side to it too, of the uh, inspiring the next generation. I think there's often a lot of people who attempt to inspire kids with these vague, ambiguous, you can do anything. And then they walk away where I think the, the attempt is made, but it's made in a way that kids are often left thinking, what do you mean? What, what should I, what, what am I actually good at? I, I can do anything, but what should like out of everything? Is there one that you see, or are we just going to keep it at? I can do anything right? where it often leaves kids a bit deflated more than anything, because then they say, well, you think I can, but I have no idea what I'm capable of. Right? So I, I, I think it helps to do something like Brian got, you know, where it's like writing, you're an incredible writer. You could make a career out of this very specific thing, right? It, it, it's significant because it's specific where a lot of people I think just miss the mark where keeping it so vague and ambiguous where I think kids just walk away thinking, all right, you're either full of crap or you're just trying to encourage me and AKA patronize me. Well, I think if we want to be a champion for somebody, uh, we can run into the problem that we want to do it for ourselves, not yeah. for them. <laughs> in, in which case, that means when it gets hard, when it means that you need to invest time to help them discover these things, we draw back. Yeah. And we just say, oh, you can just do anything. Just go figure out what it is. And they're left at asking the questions you just mentioned. Right. And, they're, and then they're wondering, well, that wasn't really any support at all. I mean, it's pablum <laughs> that you gave me. I can go do anything. But uh, <laughs> all right. I don't know what I'm good at. Right. And I meet with a lot of young people, Armin, and they tell me that. I don't know what I'm good at. Right. And and having someone who can help them think through that and experiment and find ways to get feedback and find ways to get encouragement along the way is yeah. is really hard. Yeah, and and the other things that I, I heard Brian saying and 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 I love the fact one, I love the fact that he's not politically correct. He just laid it out there. Um, but another thing that he says is if you're not striving for excellence, then you're no use to anybody pursue excellence with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. I there, he's not the kind of guy that I look at or, or listen to at first and think he's going to say something really motivational, but that was like an NFL coach <laughs> quote right there. You know what I'm saying? But it came from this calm, cool, collect writer from Hollywood. And, and it's so unashamed, you know, because in the Christian faith, you often hear, you know, if you're following the will of God, there should be no striving as if like clouds are going to carry you through the ways and paths of God and there will be no discomfort, right? Where it's like, no, there's striving involved. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to hurt a little, yeah. but it's worth it. And you should pursue it with some vengeance. <laughs> there's, there, there's no me in mediocrity. Uh, no, wait, wait. There. <laughs> Something like that. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I love, he, he, I mean, he's just laying it out there and he, it's unapologetic, but I think he's right. Well, the words that hit me when he said them is, who are we to play small ball? Woo. And that's like, you know, don't, don't become 
good in a garage band. Yeah. You know, become good for an orchestra. Symphony. Come on. Symphonies. (laughs) Exactly. And and so, you know, don't play small ball. Yeah. And, and that is really fundamentally at the heart of it is stewardship. Mm. It's like you've been given a gift and go invest it. Yeah. And go, go make something of it. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's often difficult. People like myself, you know, I find like, man, I've been given a lot. Yeah. You know, where do I, where do I invest? How do I invest? And it should be a relentless question. I think we should always, as you and I had talked about in the past, we should always be asking this question of ourselves. Mm -hmm. How does God want us to invest what we currently presently have, what we can currently presently give? How can we invest that with excellence and not assume that yesterday's stuff is necessarily going to be today's stuff? That's right. How do we make it what he's given us and discharge it in a way that's really bold and beautiful? Absolutely. And and the final piece that he said, I thought was filled with so much wisdom is don't just go pursue your dreams. And if you're the only one who's confirmed that gifting in you, you know, wait, wait until you get a confirmation or a validation from three other people who've been in the trenches, who've seen the bloody war side of it and can look you in the eyes and tell you you're made for these trenches, right? Yeah. That, that, I think that's something my, my generation specifically misses quite often. You know, we're, we're so eager to pursue our dreams that we miss the whole confirmation validation side of things. We do. And the danger we get into is that we try to get that confirmation or validation from people who are perhaps impressed by us or love us. Yeah. And, and so we don't really get like real validation and, and you wonder like, you know, some of the people that appear on American Idol and some of these other reality <laughs> performance shows, you go, didn't somebody tell them they can't sing? I mean, that would be a loving thing to do. You know? I was <laughs> supposed to just say, you can do anything you want. You know? <laughs> just not singing. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, look, reality is some things are stupid ideas to pursue. <laughs> you know, we want to pursue bold ideas. Not necessarily stupid ideas. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and we do need to renounce that you can equally do everything that you want to. You yeah. know, uh, we need to say, you know, God's gifted you in a certain way. Mm. And, uh, and I think what he's saying is bring what, what Brian's saying is bring out, bring that out, work right. on it, excel at it, and find some adults who can reliably give you good feedback about it. It's good right. stuff. It was. He killed it. Well done. I wish I could just call him Birdman or something, make it sound like we're buddies. But <laughs> Mr. Bird, thank you. You killed it. You sure did. Well, we hope you enjoyed this show. And uh, you can find our show notes at boldideapodcast.com. You'll find the links to Brian Bird's book and other resources there as well. We'd love for you to leave us a comment at that location, boldideapodcast.com slash 62, or uh, at our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. We love that you listen to the show. We'd love for you to pass along to your friends and let them know about it. We have so many guests that we've had on the program, like Brian, who've had so many great things to say about how we can put our faith to work. We hope you have a chance, if you haven't, to go back and listen to prior episodes and leave us a review on iTunes. Easiest way to do that is to go to boldideapodcast.com slash review. And until next week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Thanks so long and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.